get hooked up here. And while I do that, I want to uh, just note a couple of things. Uh, first of all, it looks like the guys are back from Alaska. That's a good thing. And Stevens survived the summer at Great Oaks Camp. They didn't drown him uh, off the blob or shoot him off a uh, zip line without a harness or anything like that, which is good. Um, also, uh, if you look in the back there in the middle, we have some old friends that are rejoining us here at Chillicothe Bible Church. Uh, Dale and Chrissy Brown uh, have just... They're actually... They're actually in the process of moving back here. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Um, and in the spirit of talking about transitions, I want to just mention one that we are making in our family as well. Uh, you may see a real estate sign go up in our yard this week, but rest assured we are not leaving anywhere. We're not going anywhere. Uh, we're just getting a different house here in town, so um, you can't get rid of us that easy. Uh, but um, in any case, we're, uh, we're looking into a house um, down uh, off Cedar Hills Drive that has a pool uh, and a lot of yard and a lot of opportunity to host uh, many of you uh, at our home, uh, which we love doing. So we're, we're in the process of trying to buy that house and trying to sell ours. So I think Wednesday or Thursday of this week, there will be a real estate sign going up in our yard. Uh, and so if you know anybody who wants a five-bedroom, two-bath house uh, in, here in town, uh, pass them our way, please. Uh, so anyway... Um, so with all that in mind, it is our fifth Sunday service. We're going to veer off, therefore, from Proverbs, I mean from uh, Hebrews, and get into Proverbs uh, here this week. Uh, Proverbs, you'll remember, is a book about how to live wisely in a fallen world, uh, how to live life down here to the fullest extent possible given the realities and difficulties that are part of life in this world. And it's a good book for us as Christians to read and study because sometimes our Bible reading and our preaching uh, tends to focus everybody's attention on the future, on, on the glories that will be ours and the things that we will enjoy uh, when we are in, present face-to-face -face with Jesus and with one another in heaven to the exclusion of living life down here right now and enjoying it. And uh, sometimes people ask Christians, well, that's great and all, but is there life before death? Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> okay. Yes, there is. There's not only life after death, but if we are followers of Jesus Christ, there's also life before death. Uh, there's a lot of your Bible that would encourage you to do things like uh, take a vacation, eat Rocky Road, get two dips, etc. right? And... Uh, and there's a lot of your Bible that, that commends to us obeying God, not simply because of what will happen after you die, but because of what will happen to you right now in this life. And the fact that your life down here right now will be more enjoyable, more blessed, uh, more full of, uh, of great experiences now. You don't have to wait to experience eternal life until you die. Eternal life is something you presently possess. Remember Jesus, what Jesus told Nicodemus? Uh, that if you believe, 
you have eternal life, present tense, right? And so the book of Proverbs is about helping us to experience and to enjoy a bit of that eternal life in the present day. And so I want to look at uh, the benefits that come from obeying God uh, according to, to Proverbs chapter 2. And uh, Proverbs, the first five verses there are all about uh, obeying God's commandments. So we want to read them together. Uh, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, one of the beautiful things about Hebrew poetry is that it does not rhyme. And so you can translate it literally into any language in the world and still convey all of the same ideas that are present in the original Hebrew in any other language that you translate it into. I happen to think that maybe God had a plan and a purpose behind that, right? Because God's plan and purpose is that people from every nation and every tribe and every language and every tongue would understand Him and understand His Word. And so Hebrew poetry is written in such a way that whatever language you put it in, you can get it. And one of the other features about it is that uh, it doesn't have rhyme and meter and these kind of things we associate with English poetry. What it has is parallelism. And it has, it has each line is written in a parallel structure, and there's a variety of different types. But the most common type is the one you see here, which is called synonymous parallelism. So you have, the, in the first line, you have a statement of an idea, and then in the second, you have the same idea communicated in slightly different words, but that is meant to explain and clarify what the first line means. And then what the poet can do is not only link two lines, but he can link uh, you know, that verse to the next line, to the next line, to the next line. And that's what you have in the first four verses. All four of those verses are, are individually in synonymous parallelism, but they're also in synonymous parallelism with each other. And so they all are communicating in different ways the same idea of, about obeying God. And notice that they're all conditional statements. They're conditional. They all start with the word if. In other words, if you do this, and then you get down to verse 5, then this will happen, right? If you do this, then this will happen. So, if you look at verse 1, receiving my words is equal to treasuring up my commandments. How do I know, or how do you know, if your kids are listening? Well, you don't want them to just sit quietly and hear what you said. You want them to put it into practice, right? In fact, if you, if, you tell your, if you give your kids some instruction and then they walk off and they're just like wandering about the house, what, you, what do you say to them? You say, didn't you hear what I just said? And they go, oh, yeah. And they have a, all of a sudden, you know, the, the synapses fire again and they, they, they realize, right? Oh, yeah, okay. 
Uh, you, you meant me to actually do that. You weren't just talking to hear your teeth rattle, right? Um, uh, and and that is, that's kind of the idea behind this line, that treasuring up my commandments is, is not just hearing what I said, that you're taking them to heart. You're putting into practice whatever the person has told you to do. And again, uh, Solomon is writing this, and he is writing uh, from you know, as a father to his son. And so it starts out, my son, do this, right? Uh, if you're a daughter, you know, you can interpret, all right? Uh, because it all applies, uh, but that's the original context. Um, uh, verse 2, making your ear attentive to wisdom equals inclining your heart to understanding. Wisdom is not simply something that passes between your ears, but something that moves your heart to change on the inside. So your ears and your heart are in parallel. You hear it, and then you take it in, and you're transformed by it. Uh, verse 3, calling out insight, raising your voice for understanding. In other words, you aren't just casually looking. You know, well, maybe I'll find, maybe I'll see if, I, if it's a good idea to do God's will. No, the idea is that you are looking to obey God the same way you would look for the family dog if it runs off, right? I have a dog that, that wants to go with us everywhere that we go, she will, like, go stand by the door, and she'll try to sneak out and then get into the car before, like, we're not going to notice, I think, right? I think at this time, they won't catch me, right? I'll just get in the van, and no one will tell, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, but if she can't get in the vehicle, what she'll do is she'll, like, run over to the neighbors, check out the, the dogs over there, you know, sniff the fire hydrant, across the street, etc., right? And we get to going through the neighborhood like crazy people screaming her name, right? We're going, Bill! And we're, you know, yelling for the dog. And, and you have to kind of, you, you, you look like an idiot because you're out there in like flip-flops, you know, your pajama pants, whatever, you know, trying to get this dog to come home, right? And this is the kind of idea of calling out for wisdom, that you are seeking something that you really want. This is not a casual pursuit. It's not a casual effort. This is pursuing this, calling its name. Verse 4, seeking it like silver equals searching, it, uh, for, searching for it like hidden treasure. How many of you all are old enough to remember the movie Goonies? Remember that? Little kids? Find a treasure, a one-eyed willy, right? They dig for it, and they find it, right? And then they're trying to keep it quiet so they can save their house and all that, right? Uh, they're going to dig for it. And, and these kids are, are dedicated. They find a treasure map, and they follow it, right? And that is the idea. If you had a treasure map, and you knew at the end of it, was a big treasure chest with jewels and gold, you would start digging. You wouldn't go, well, you know, I'll put that in the shelf maybe someday. And you were like, ah, let's go find us a pirate chest, right? You would if you knew that that was there, if that was an authentic map. And in the same way, obeying God's word needs to be the pursuit of your life. 
that it's like hidden treasure. And it has benefits and dividends that pay far better than one-eyed Willie. It has benefits that go through your whole life. And again, all of these ideas are synonyms. They're all different ways of saying the same thing, which is that you need to pursue as a person. If you're going to live successfully in this world, you need to pursue as a person the way of wisdom. And these, again, are all conditional statements. These are all, if you do this, if you do this, then we see verse 5. Here's the, the, the result the con- of the conditions that are being met. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Again, these, are syn- uh, these two ideas in verse 5 are synonymous. That understanding the fear of the Lord and, and uh, finding the knowledge of God is the same thing. Well, what's it mean? It means that you listen to his word and you put it into practice in your life. To fear the Lord equals obeying the Lord. And so this whole section, these, all these five verses are all various poetic ways of Solomon telling his boy under the inspiration of the Spirit, son, you want to live an enjoyable life? You want to live the way a wise person lives and reap as much blessing and joy out of your life as you can? It's very simple. Obey God. It's very simple. Obey God. And don't do so casually like it's just one option among many. Like, you know, like, like the, at the cafeteria where you've got, you know, you got roast beef, you've got the chicken, you've got carved turkey, you've got whatever, right? And you can just kind of go, eh, I'm not really feeling like turkey today. I think I'll have the roast beef, and uh, I'll have two pieces of pie, and some mashed potatoes, oh, and the green beans, oh, and the stuffing with the gravy, yes, bring that, right? And, and you kind of pick and choose what you want. And Solomon says obeying God is nothing like that. That you have to have this be the pursuit, the solitary pursuit of your life. And if you do, if you treat God's word and and holding on to it and putting it into practice like treasure that you are seeking, then you will know what it is to fear God and to understand Him. And knowing God through obedience is the key to life. Learning what God has to say and then doing it and treating God's Word with honor in your life by the way that you live it out will pay dividends and blessing for your whole life. In fact, th- that is the point of the next 17 verses, that if you obey God's commandments, then we will live under his lifelong blessing and protection. So I want to read about some of these benefits for you, getting in verse 6 down through the end of the chapter. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. 
from men of perverted speech who forsake the ways of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now, if you look at those verses, verse uh, 6 through 15 with me for a minute here, just uh, those first several verses, what you'll see is that your life is being compared to being on a journey along a treacherous road. That there are dangers that are along this road, and obeying God is like having armed guards that accompany you along the way. Now, when the president wants to go somewhere, does he just, you know, get in the car and drive himself, you know, like down to Starbucks or whatever? No. It's a major undertaking, right? And, and you know, if he's going to come visit us here in, in Chillicothe, let's say, they're going to do a number of different things. They're going to, first of all, to have this big caravan of all of these up-armored cars, that are going to travel down. My understanding is that the presidential limousine can take several direct hits from an RPG. It's an amazing vehicle. I don't know how much concrete there is in the doors, but you know the windows are like this thick. I mean, there's something else. This thing weighs hundreds of, it weighs hundreds of tons. I mean, it's it's a heavy, um, it's a heavy, heavy car has to be specially made just to hold and special tires just to drive down the road and it is an amazing thing and they have all these guys and they've all got their little earpieces you know and they get a little wire that hangs down they're all talking you know and they're all and and my wife actually went to high school with a kid who's one of these guys who's a secret service man okay and he's got he's got his glock 19 with like you know, 47 rounds, you know, uh, that that thing holds. And, um, and you know, they've got guys with, uh, with machine guns and shotguns and so forth in the trunks of these vehicles. And, and I don't know this for certain, but they, I think they also have jets either in the air or on notice ready to be in the air in a second at Mach 2 the president should be in danger. And on top of that, they have what they call the advance men. Okay? The advance men are the guys who travel the route ahead of the president and look for dangers, and they, they scope out everything where he's going to be. They put snipers up on all the buildings to make sure that nobody can assassinate the president of the United States. And and in a sense, what obeying God is like is like having God as your advance man and your secret service team 
who is going before you on the road of life and who is guarding you and protecting you and keeping you from going down a side street that he hasn't checked out and that is going to lead to your death and destruction. And he is, he is protecting you. Look at some of these terms that are here. Uh, he is your shield if you walk in integrity in verse 7. Verse 8, the Lord guards the paths of justice and watches over the way of his saints. Uh, Verses 9 through 15, we learn that he's like your advanced man who shows you every good way to go. No, don't go down that road. Go down this one. This one is safe. This is the one I have protected and guarded. Uh, And he shows you every good way to go. He gives you direction and understanding as your guard. And he keeps you from evil men and their ways. Look at, look at the way that the, the, the wicked are, he says. They aren't upright. Instead, they are crooked and perverse and evil and devious. And the Lord, as he travels with you along the road of life, as you obey him, protects you from all this stuff. And let me just tell you from experience why this matters. It matters at your reunion intensely. And not just because, you know, when you go to your reunion, you know, your five-year, your 10-year, your 15-year, whatever. Okay, my 25-year high school reunion is next year. Some of you young people who are not yet 25, you think, that man is older than dirt, and you are correct, all right? But my 25-year class reunion is next year, and I'm friends with many of these people on Facebook and so forth, you know, friends on Facebook, right? Um, and, And I have seen over 25 years the outcome of their lives, and in many cases, There are people who maybe even weren't Christians when they were in high school, but they became Christians sometime after that, and their life looks one way. And then there are those whose best years were those four years between, like, you know, 15 and 18. And everything after that has been a series of augered-in craters where they just went, you know, one after the other as they lived through life, right? They stepped on landmine after landmine after landmine as they walked through life. And they're on like their sixth wife, you know, their fifth husband. Uh, you know, they've got, uh, they've got all kinds of mess. You know, they've got alcohol addictions and drug addictions and and some of them are still trying to impress people they don't like with stuff they can't afford and don't need, right? And so they're, st- so they're still trying to, to make everybody else impressed with their car or their house or their clothes or whatever. And all this stuff is going to burn up and be destroyed, amen? But it's the only way they have ever figured out to have significance in life, and they just kind of just blunder through. And they're continually bloodying their toes on everything in life because they have no one guarding them and guiding them along the road. And and when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's like you are a person in a dark room and the whole floor is covered in Legos. You understand what I'm saying? You know, you've got like 
you know, no pain, some pain, childbirth, stepping on Legos in the dark, right? <laughs> right? And you've got the whole floor littered with Legos, and it's dark, right? And then when you become a believer in Christ, he turns the lights on and gives you the ability to see, and you can walk through uh, to the fridge to get a drink, right? Safely, and then walk back, turn the light off, and go to bed. Leave the Legos for someone else to find, right? <laughs> but, um, but God turns the lights on for you. He guides you. He guards you along the road of life. And he protects you from cratering it repeatedly as so many other people do. Why do some people have joy and even happiness and other people are continually, as I said, bloodying their toes? Because one person walks with God and another person walks according to their own wisdom. And one way turns out and the other way does not. And you as a believer, I've had so many people say to me over the years, well, you don't know what life is really like because your life just seems charmed. And what I say to them is it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the grace of God and that following and obeying Him to the best that I can, and it isn't all that good, has resulted in, over time, in a different outcome. Amen? And many of you can testify the same way because you've got members of your family that follow the Lord and members of your family who don't, and they, they produces two different outcomes. And that is wisdom. That's what wisdom is. It is skillful living in a fallen world. And if you want to live skillfully, the very best way is to obey God. Amen? Now, in verses 16 to 19, you get a warning about one very specific landmine that you need to guard against on the road of life. And again, this is addressed primarily to men, but if you're a woman, interpret here, because women, at this, at this moment in our cultural history, women make up 40% of, of porn consumers and 50% of all adulteries. And 50% of all married women in this country will commit adultery at some point over the course of their marriage, according to surveys. That's self-admitted. So if you're a woman, I know this is addressed to men, but interpret here. This applies. There's a warning for, for us men, obviously. There's a warning for you ladies as well. And look at what it says. Um, this is a temptation. Um says, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Uh, this warning, a warning against falling into sexual sin, appears four 
times in this book. There are only 31 chapters. Chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Four times. In fact, it's the bulk of chapter 5, 6, and 7 is this warning against falling into sexual sin. And notice the characteristics of the adulterous woman here. First of all, she is smooth talking. Their words sound good. They sound good. It's appealing. And in fact, you want to know how to commit adultery? I'll give you a real easy lesson on how to do that, okay? First, eliminate intimacy from your other relationships. Okay, then encounter somebody who is appealing and who you enjoy talking to. And then uh, expedite that relationship in a real inappropriate way where you start to talk with them about things you shouldn't only talk to your spouse about. And then once you begin to do that, what begins to happen is you develop the most sinister trust in the world where you begin to talk about things that you should not be talking to them about and you get hooked with another E emotionally. You get hooked in. And you begin to say things like, you know, I wish I could talk to my family like I talk to you. And you kind of volley into her court. And you wait to see if she volleys back because you don't want to be too obvious about your intentions. And if she says, yeah, you know, I, I, I really enjoy talking to you too. I mean, I wish I could talk to my friends like I talk to you. You know, I, I really, I mean, it's really, this is really a great relationship. I wish I could talk to my wife the way I talk to you. Da-ding. Yeah, me too. My husband and I never talk like this anymore. Da-ding. And then all of a sudden, you're hooked. You come around here often? Uh, well, I'm here every Tuesday. Guess where you'll be next Tuesday? And you're hooked. And all that is left at that point is the experience of adultery, of setting a date and a place and a time. But you're already hooked. You've already injected straight crack into your bloodstream. Amen? You're already hooked. And all that's left is the actual experience of it. And by the way, the woman or the man does not have to be physically present. In our world, we've created virtual types of everything. And a lot of times, you know, guys get hooked and by the way, this is still, lest anybody be, uh, be confused about this, watching, participating in pornography is still a form of adultery. It's still a form of adultery. As is, if you are a woman who reads, you know, the kind of novels exemplified by like Fifty Shades of Grey and so forth, 
That's adultery. I'm sorry. It is. It's adultery. It is seeking sexual satisfaction apart from your spouse. It's adultery. And Solomon says to his boy, son, you better stay away from this because it is smooth talking. It is appealing. It forsakes your spouse. That's what it says about her. She has forsaken the companion of her youth. And then in addition to that, she has forgotten her covenant with God. The fact that she has another covenant that she has made with God. Now, a lot of people forget about that, that when you stand up in front of, all, of God and all these witnesses, right? And before God and these witnesses, you make your vows, and you say, before God and these witnesses, I promise to, fill in the blank, right? To love, honor, cherish, submit to, respect, treat with honor uh, this person for the rest of my life in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, in good times, bad times, all times, that you are making that vow not simply to that person, but also before God, utilizing his name. And to break that commandment is to break covenant with God and to violate the third commandment about those who misuse the name of God. It's a serious thing. And that's why Solomon says here, her steps go down to death. Her, her house sinks to the grave. In other words, if you want to blow up your life, here is an excellent way. And many, in fact, later in the book of Proverbs, it says, her slain are a mighty throng, <laughs> right? What comes to your mind when I say the words Bill Clinton? Okay, many of you think, well, President of the United States. And then after that, you think sleazeball. Okay? Because he is treating the Oval Office as a, as a uh, dollar an hour motel. You do not have respect for that man anymore. I won't elaborate on any contemporary politicians. But, but in any case, you lose respect for people. They blow up their life. And they invite God's judgment on them. Her steps lead down to death. It takes your life. Her house is in the grave. Her house is in the grave, and none who go to her regain life again. When you step on this landmine, they have one in the military, I think they've outlawed it now, called Bouncing Betty. Okay? Bouncing Betty, you step on it, and then you and you don't notice initially until you take another step and then it jumps up about this high and blows off everything below the waist and it blows you up and when bouncing betty walks by you men when bouncing bob walks by you ladies run that's the encouragement of the scriptures. Amen? 
And after that stern warning, the poet brings us back, verse 20 to 22, with a little reminder of God's blessing who, who, for those who obey him. In the context of Israel's covenant with God, he's, he's, he said, look, it's very simple. Obey me, live a long time under my blessing in the land. Disobey me and face exile and death and be cut off from the land. And guess what happened? For a long time, the nation obeyed God, then it began to disobey God a little bit, and then they began to disobey God a lot. Then they began to disobey God almost completely, and God took them out of the nation. Took the northern kingdom to Assyria and the southern kingdom to Babylon, and for 70 years they were exiled from the land. And by the way, God has not changed. Amen? There is still blessing for obedience. Still. Lots of blessing. Trust me on this. Not based on my own wonderful specialness, but based simply on the grace of God. I have experienced a lot of it. I've been married for 20 years to the same woman who still says I love you every day. And still means it. I I find that one of the most personally amazing miracles that I've ever witnessed. (laughs) Okay. Because I know what's in me and I know what's in my heart. And yet God has blessed my marriage. I I have four children who still like me. Two of them are teenagers. This is not supposed to happen. Okay. And it's wonderful. I have a congregation full of people who love the Lord and love each other and love me, and I get to be part of it. And it's a blessing. And as I look back over my life, I am not looking like that World War II pilot who flew too close to the top of the trees and punched out just before he died. And then when he woke up, looked back over a quarter of a mile of wreckage behind him. I'm not that guy. I am enjoying the blessing of God. And many of you, if I stood you up here, could do the same thing. You could testify about how God has guarded and protected and provided for your life all the way along the way. And all of a sudden, compared to all of your friends, you look like the smart one. Even though you may not, you know, be any smarter than anybody, right? You just have to obey God, and he goes before you and protects you. So, again, the poet has laid out for us here two roads you can walk down. you got two choices. You get one way, the way of the wicked, that you lack God's protection, and so life is a lot harder, a lot more painful than it would have to be. And then you've got the way of obeying God in which he goes before you and guards you and protects you and blesses you. So choose wisely. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you do guard and protect and lead and bless all the way around our all the way around us and all the way down our road, all the way till we walk into glory at the end of it if we will obey you and follow you. And we will experience your discipline and your correction if we wander off on our own path. Father, help us choose wisely. Help us walk by faith in Jesus Christ. 
according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.